This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host, Josh Newberg. Got Brendan Sinone, Chris Nee, Zach Blostein. They're all here with me. We all made it through another signing day. The 2022 cycle officially ended yesterday with Wednesday's big signing day. Maybe not much happening in FSU's world yesterday, but there were some big signings taking place around the country. Uh, we'll talk about Antavius Woody, FSU's lone remaining commitment heading into yesterday and what went down with him. Uh, there are also a couple off-field hires that have taken place over the last few days. We'll talk about those. We'll give our thoughts on the schedule that came out this week. We'll talk some hoops. We'll hang out. We're going to have a great time. Chris, Brendan, Zach, we good? Great. Sure. Yeah. All right. Yesterday was a quiet signing day, probably the quietest of my 16-year career covering signing day at least when it comes to the february date but gosh it couldn't of... have been any quieter there's no way to go negative on that they signed zero guys yesterday yeah i'm just saying a lot of that is due i think in part to the landscape of recruiting i tweeted this yesterday morning i i made an observation that i feel like um december's early signing day is the signing day even if some of these teams sign you know maybe two or three guys some of the big big time programs but for the most part, it's all done in December now. And yesterday, yesterday was coaches getting angry and just lashing out about everything in college football right now. It's really I, fun. I don't want to name names. I don't want to. You know, well, I mean, have, Jimbo you know, went off on NIL accusations. Tony Elliott pointed out how absurd the calendars turned into. Tony had some. Uh, good I think they Lane all made Kip, great. Lane points. Kiffin had a little fun with it. I mean, we've seen a bunch of people. It, it's a mess. It is a complete and utter mess right now. All of it. Don't you understand what Jimbo's dealing with to an extent? I mean, of course, not to the same magnitude, but we deal with the message board, right? So it's the exact same thing about when there's a rumor out there or something and a message board poster poses the question as fact when it's definitely not a fact. Like, for example, you know, somebody comes to the message board and says, Bud said X, Y, and Z. How do you, Chris, how do you feel about that? What do you think about Bud's take? And it's like, good for number Bud. one, no, no, number one, <laughs> Bud, Bud did not say X, oh, Y, it's telephone game time. Yes. Yeah. So like just the way these questions sometimes are posed, I get it. I understand so, Jimbo's reaction. Like it's if, all you, if it hits you at the right time. Fault. Slice bread. Slice bread, Slice man. bread's fault. A damn oh, slice bread. Mr. Bread. It is hilarious. Like that was like sliced bread was discussed for like three minutes during a press conference. I, the I will thing say I this about the, is... let, let me get my Jimbo takeoff. No, it's not about Jimbo because I don't want to be held liable or anything like that. Uh, if do you guys remember when Lance Armstrong was winning the Tour de France every year and guys all around him were getting pinged for for steroids or whatever HGN mm -hmm. whatever they were doing all over and he's like no I'm not doing any of that. 
it's so you're so you're kicking the ass of everyone else who's cheating but you yourself are not you're just that much superior that people are or are, are pumping in these resources that are not supposed to be pumped in and you are just better than them is what we're supposed to believe listen nil makes everything fair game but don't tell me that you're recruiting at literally the highest level that anyone ever has while everyone else is pumping in nil money and you're saying it has nothing to do with what you've done okay good talk good good stuff jimbo oops i mean someone i was just humored by yesterday but i did actually i thought tony elliott's comments if people haven't seen them i thought tony elliott's comments were very on point and that ba- basically this thing is a never-ending constant cycle of craziness roster management's been thrown by the wayside good luck managing a program it used to be you brought guys in you developed guys you got better because you had developed guys those guys passed it on to the next guys that's how you develop a program you became good because of that now it's you know to take a basketball example you go out and get two 25 and 26 year olds on your basketball roster you get a hell of a lot better real quick but hey screw that 18 year old freshman you just recruited he doesn't really matter he'll probably end up in the portal and this is stop one of three but hey coach you got to keep recruiting the kid that's on your team go recruit the kid that's in the portal go figure out what you need next am I going to have 12 players? Am I going to have 13? That is what this has all become. And it's a cluster. Jimbo and I lied Tony all the time. Jimbo would lie all the time to us. He say. put his finger on something in there. It was kind of buried in that paragraph of his statement, but he also stated something about some of the, some of the illegal shenanigans that are taking place and how that also takes up coaches time and energy um, having to recruit your own team and make sure that other coaches from other teams aren't coming in to poach some of your players that might be unhappy that you're trying to develop. So it, I think some of what he said can bleed into Jimbo's answer. I mean, he's talking about the mental health of, of the coaches around him and clearly it's, it's affecting coaches. I mean, it's affecting everybody and you hate to say, well, the coaches need a break. They do need a break. I mean, I, I know it, we shouldn't feel nobody wants to be sympathetic to them, but like you can't sustain this. No, I mean, I'm amazed Jim Harbaugh didn't decide to go to the pros again. Like, why not? Like at this point, I think being an NFL coach is probably a much better existence than being a college coach. I, and I think we're all in favor of the transfer portal, right? And what it what it yeah, does and gives it athletes opportunities, but it needs some regulation. And I don't. I wish I had a better idea of like what that was and I want to just be the guy who said we need to do this and this and this without actually having like a specific idea. But yeah, there does need to be well, some level of regulation and guardrails to it. I, I think you start with creating windows for it, you know, make a window, make 45 day windows, maybe three of them in a year. So basically like mid December to end of January, that deals with everybody's semesters ending that end in December and everybody that starts in January, including those who start much later. For example, we deal with FSU they start roughly two weeks before school, such as Maryland, who starts after Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. So that gives a large window there. Have another one maybe after spring into summer kind of coincides with the evaluation period for high school recruits. And maybe have a third right before the season. But this like uh, week three, I didn't get to play in the game. I'm hitting the portal. I'm getting out of here. That kind of stuff. It's just, it's nuts. It's out of control. I don't think it makes sense for it to be a 365 day process. Agreed. Yeah, but what do you do about coaches <clears throat> coaches being hired and fired? Do you put a window on that as well? Uh, yeah, I think you obviously have to allow a student athlete to get out if they want to get out. 
I, I think you maybe have to limit it to solely the head coach. I don't think we can get nitty gritty and say position coach or everybody like that. But I think in a head coach situation, because that changes the entire organization, I think you would have to give an allowance there. Right. Okay. So it was a quiet national signing day, as we alluded to for Florida State, because they did not officially sign anybody. But there was a ceremony taking place. And if you listen to On the Bench, which we all know you do, then you would be you would have been completely prepared for what went down with Antavius Woody. Um, We have been laying this out step by step on why Woody would likely not sign an NLI. Um, Yesterday came and went. There was a ceremony, which we said would likely happen. Uh, Chris, do you want to explain to the people just one more time what went on with Antavius Woody for the state commitment? He sat down in, I think, his media center, maybe library at the school. He had an FSU hat. He had an Auburn hat. He confirms his commitment to FSU, takes pictures with family and friends that are there, puts pen to some kind of paper and signs it. FSU confirms nothing as far as a letter of intent being in. To my knowledge, compliance received nothing yesterday that would pertain to a letter of intent. Uh, There has been no announcement. That's not usually something that school will sit on outside of a kid announcing at like an all-star game. As a mid-year type, sometimes they'll sit on that. Akeem Den, I think, comes to mind as an example of that. But uh, no, I mean, Woody is a young man who has academic progress that he has to make to ensure that he can get into a four-year institution. And that was the case before yesterday, and that remains the case today. Yeah. So there's still a chance that he could be part of this class. He didn't have to sign today, tomorrow, yesterday to do that. All he has to do is simply enroll in June if if he is eligible and, you know, things are still on track um, or if things are on track for him to be eligible, then he will enroll. Uh, Florida State did not need to sign him. They did not need to lock him into a scholarship in order to get him on campus in the summer. He can still do that. So Florida State does not sign Antavius Woody. We know that because Florida State did not recognize it publicly. We we were waiting on that, right, Chris? Yeah, I mean, immediately after his ceremony, I contacted an FSU representative and asked if I should be expecting an announcement from university, and they told me I should not be, but they would check on it further, checked again later in the afternoon around, I think, about 3 p.m., and at that time was still told there's no announcement coming from FSU, so that's where it is. I think one thing we should clarify, I'll let you take this, Josh, is why does FSU not sign him as it pertains to the 85 rule and the 25 plus 7 scholarships for this particular year rule if florida state signs him they are locked into that scholarship whether he makes it on campus or not for a calendar year um they have a couple spots left that they would like to use if available for transfers and they feel i think not so optimistic that woody is going to eventually make it in i think that they feel like you know, he's most likely headed to Juco. So why sign him right now and lose a scholarship essentially for a calendar year when they don't have to sign him? He can still enroll if he's eligible and they don't have to gamble on whether or not they're going to eat a scholarship for a year. So it's kind of common sense here. Um, I know there was a lot of questions because he was the only name on the board yesterday. So I think people were focused on, on Antavius Woody but he's a guy that committed to Florida state in June. And in the comment section of his commitment story, we were talking about how grades were a concern for him and would likely continue to be a concern for him. One last footnote, one last footnote. Uh, The signing period actually goes till April. 
Um, you know, everybody centers on that first Wednesday in February, but it actually goes to April. And even after that point, a person can enroll. Now, they can't, to my knowledge, sign a letter of intent after April, but they could sign a grant aid or some kind of financial aid package or just simply enroll. So as the dust has settled, Florida State currently ranks fourth in the ACC in their 2022 recruiting class and 20th overall in the country. Um, how do we feel about Florida State's ranking at 20? versus maybe what we expected heading into this cycle and also taking into account transfer portal. So I'm probably not the person to talk about this, but they're tech <laughs> to correct you on this, Josh, they're technically 18th right now in the overall rankings with transfer portal included. But aren't they ranked number 20 in the recruiting class? They are the number 20 nationally ranked recruiting class that pertains to high school prospects. Brendan right. has a whole different <laughs> algorithm for how he like. <laughs> I don't want to be in Brendan's algorithm. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Apparently, Lodemore, apparently, Lodemore came back to haunt somebody down there yesterday. Yeah, well, you know, maybe sign Travis Hunter and Marvin Jones Jr. And I can't care. Hey, 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 Sorry, hey. I, just, uh, I, I just I took I took some L's. I took some bumps yesterday. I'm a little salty. But what I don't understand as a as a company is why why if you add the transfer ranking points and the team ranking points for recruits, it doesn't equate to what the overall ranking points are. That doesn't make any sense. To I, I can't recall. Maybe they did it last cycle. Maybe they do it as an enrolled rankings. Well, when really, the dust really, settles come August. It really boned me over there, Chris. It really boned me over. Uh, can we get Dante Anderson in the rankings? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let that one slide, Snow. Okay. Um, so so what we think about the – I mean, listen, top 20 isn't good enough if you need to elevate your roster long-term. And that's three classes right. of top 20 range in a row. So, no, I mean, compared to what they're trending for in the summertime – top 12 like okay top 15 even uh there becomes a pretty precipitous drop off i feel like once you start talking about in the in the near 20 range once you're outside the top 15 so no it's not good enough long term for what you need to do to get the program where it needs to be to me 20 is a bigger number like it's uh oh it's the national landscape i don't really care about the national landscape for fsu right now i'm more looking at it from an fsu who they play perspective so acc and then throw in a couple non-conference you know this year it's lsu florida the big two on that so in the ACC, they're behind North Carolina, who ended up with the best class in the league, slightly ahead of Clemson. And then there's a healthy gap between Clemson and Miami, and Miami is slightly ahead of FSU. And then behind FSU is VT and BC, just affiliate on the top six. FSU beat one of those, two of those teams that are ahead of them last year. Clemson is obviously the big dog they got to beat in their half of the division. They still have a gap to catch up there. What I think on the class is pretty similar to what I thought in December. I think they nailed some positions. You know, I really like both DBs they brought in. Love the O-line class. I like the quarterback they added. Uh, you know, at that point, I was disgusted with the wide receiver class. They went in and addressed that with the portal by adding four guys, varying degrees of success at the college game to this point in time for those four guys. So we have to see how that comes about. Running back, I don't feel like that room changed drastically. I guess Benson's a wild card if the knee is healthy and he's what they think he can be but I'm skeptical to some degree with regards to him just because of the injury. So that's kind of the offensive side of ball. I'm not that worried about tight end. It hasn't really factored in here, to be perfectly honest. Defensively, you know, I love Jared Burrs. I'm probably the president of fan club at this point, but I wish they did more at the end. It's a little disappointing that there was not more at that position in the sense of what they were pursuing. So, like, to me, that's a miss. Linebacker love Tatum Bethune, but, again, I think it's another position where they need further depth. 
uh, defensive line, defensive tackle position, they can get away with that because Lovett and Cooper comes back. So what I guess I'm getting at in kind of a roundabout way is 20 is not great by any stretch. Fourth in the league is kind of, eh, it feels like a slight step up. FSU has to start competing better in their league, first and foremost. That That's the key for them to be a better football team. If they do that and win more games against the eight league opponents they play, they'll be in a better position than they've been in the last four years. So it, it's baby steps for me. I wish it was a better class. I wish they closed on, you know, Travis Hunter, who was a longtime commitment, some of those major targets that Sinone mentioned, a guy like, you know, Marvin Jones Jr., for example. But it is what it is. Uh, you know, I, I don't think they should have reached at the end there in February. Maybe there's a guy or two I wish they pursued more, but you can pursue it doesn't always mean you're going to get. I think for them, their belief is saving those spots for the portal down the road after spring has more value than anything they were going to add yesterday. And for the transfer portal class, I think we should be transparent. Like those rankings are still fluid. I, man, our transfer rankings, I think, do need a little bit of work collectively as a company, if I'm being totally honest. Like there's just some things that don't make a lot of sense. And that's just me looking at the vacuum of like FSU. Like, like why is Tatum Bethune ranked so far below Brandon Jennings? Like explain how someone's been a productive multi-year starter and Jennings metrics have been pretty bad in limited time and like why there's this big of a discrepancy. Why is Jake Bobo? Message, so you're saying the message board had it right. The message no, board I mean, was they, saying to take they, Brandon Jennings from the uh, get-go and the message board had it right is what it, you're it, saying. It, listen, it, it's like a tough process. Like it, it's just, there's some things that I think we need to like look at like why someone, when, when they're, when it's so much easier. To I think we're getting into the details of it a little bit. Well, that's what I do. To be honest with you. Okay. Here's, Here's my take. I'm very disappointed in the way that the class finished out. And, and the reason why is because Florida State will not have a shot at the same caliber players that they were shooting at at the end of the 2022 cycle in 23. They took a slide back. They did. And you can feel it in 2023. Just the start of 2023 is not is we're not at the same place the start of 2022 was. We slid back recruiting slid back they can still redeem themselves in the long run it's not over but the 2023 cycle is not going to be at the same caliber of recruiting as the 2022 cycle for at least the first you know eight to ten months of the cycle when Florida State was was looking like they were going to have a top 15 they were knocking on the door of a top 10 class at top one point 10. yeah and and that's why I was so devastated the day of the Travis Hutter uh, flip and just the the couple days that led up to that with some of the developments where they felt really good at certain guys and um, struck out on a on a right. pretty high rate. So while we can sit here and split hairs on Deuce Span's ranking and Tatum Bethune's ranking and we can we can really get into the mud there the overall view that's not important they missed on some some really talented players that were difference makers. The program changers. And that's when, when I felt like... And the ranking some, reflects that. After the early signing period, it felt like they squandered their... Like their window closed to capitalize on Florida and Miami being down to hit on the home run guys. Like this was the window. And like you said, Josh, it doesn't mean that you can't still uh, win your way out of it. You can't progressively get better. You, know, you can't matriculate. You get a little bit better year over year. 
but the chance for that that jolt of of talent it was last year and i think you missed the window on that ultimately unfortunately well, i think a dreadful start to the season and a failure to make a qualify for a bowl failure yeah. to reach 500 and be a bowl team are two major reasons why that played out in that manner. yeah that's why it was hard to beyond close. the just straight up ability to recruit and win in recruiting there there's that factor too and i think we've discussed that i don't like diving in that pool again but let's get zach what's your perspective on this class you got a little different angle on it how do you think you know what do you uh how would you surmise florida state's recruiting efforts in 2022 yeah i mean i wish they would have tried to pursue some of these guys that were um signing in this late period obviously you know, a lot of these, a lot of these guys are deciding between schools that are in a transition class. And we've seen in the past how that's worked out. Usually those guys don't really pan out, but like a guy like Trevante Citizen, a running back from Louisiana. Um, I don't like, we have a running backs coach at Florida State. So that's his area of recruiting is Louisiana. Um, and he ends up at a school in Florida. So I just don't I don't Miami. get why Florida State's not in that one. Um, and then like Jordan James is another guy that I know Florida State was trying to get into into his recruitment, but they weren't able to. Um, you know, it, Florida State's just not a shiny. And Jordan James goes to a school, another school that is in a transition. He goes to Oregon. Yeah. yeah. Which Kenny Dillingham, former Florida State offensive coordinator, played a huge role in his recruitment. And these are positions in need, and 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 we're not picking on the running back position because we could probably go, we could probably go across the board and do this at every position. But yeah, I, I, I think a little of it is disappointing to look back at where we came from maybe a year ago today when we were talking about the twenty two class. If we would have known where we would finish, I don't think any of us would have said that twenty is an acceptable place for FSU to finish in, in high school recruiting, regardless of what they do in the portal. Yeah, shaking my head. Yes, in the portal. I mean, the portal's great. It's nice, but you know, let's be honest. There's a lot of question marks in Florida State's portal class as well. Well, I think pretty much outside of the top, you know, five, ten schools in the country recruiting the portal. That's mm-hmm. kind of the portal. That is the portal. There's Which is why high school recruiting is still important. Yes. You still got to build a foundation to what you're trying to become. Portal can help band-aid things, but I think at the end of the day, high school is still right. significant because it is the fabric of your program. And, and a 20th ranked class doesn't really solidify the foundation like we thought it would. You know, like we wanted a, a top 15 or maybe a top 10 class would have done for the foundation. And, and this wasn't what Mike Norvell outlined for the 2022 cycle. And I think people understand that, but if you're trying to defend like, oh, they've got the portal guys are going to be okay. Like Mike Norvell said a year ago that he wanted to kind of start breaking away from the portal. And he wanted to have less and less portal guys, more homegrown talent. And that's where he wanted to be the lifeblood of the program. I understand things change in, in your, uh, your trajectory might change of, of how you view roster building. But this wasn't in the quote-unquote plan. Uh, the plan altered because of what happened down the stretch during the early signing period, in my opinion. Yeah, Bethune is in part because you missed on Bassane. The four receivers is because you signed zero high school receivers. Uh, Jared Verse is probably a guy you pursue either which way, no matter what. But because you did not get a Kelly or a Marvin Jones Jr., he became a much bigger priority because it was a necessity at that point for you. So, yeah. Right. Okay. Well, let's move on. Um, there was some hires made 
Florida State fills their GM role with Derek Ray. Is that how you pronounce the last name? Yep. E- Ray? Ray. Okay. Don't pronounce the Y at the start. It's just As Florida State's first ever general manager? Can we say yeah, that? I I think, yes. I think when Willie Taggart came here, there was initial like belief that David Kelly could have the general manager role, but he ends up on the field. So, yes, technically, I think this will be the first guy who's on the in the media guide as a general manager. What do you think of him? Tell the people about the hire. Um, this is somebody that the name had been kind of floating around for about a week now Mm -hmm. and um, Florida state makes it official on signing day. Yeah. So Ray is a West coast guy and uh, I think North California is where he's from teammates with, with Aaron judge in high school and big, big A's fan Uh, for my research. I know it's what people want to hear is is the nitty gritty there. So he is at from Oregon state the last uh, four or five years, actually kind of oversaw like he, he, lived out a coaching change, which isn't always easy. You know, sometimes you get a new coach, they clean house, but uh, he stayed through the Gary Anderson era, which was a bit of a debacle. And when Jonathan Smith took over, they end up keeping Ray and he eventually gets promoted, moves up the ladder there. He has done a lot of just what you consider like basic, like recruiting stuff, like over overseeing visit organization structure, sending out mailing letters, uh, basically the gateway this last couple of years to like if there was new film that got in uh, to the system, kind of figuring out who to delegate it to. I spoke to three people within our network who have worked with, with Ray or at least know him. Uh, Greg Biggins said he was awesome, said that he's a relentless worker, very just affable and nice and uh, very detail-oriented as well. Brandon Huffman was also really, really big fan of him, said he's going to be awesome. He's a huge reason why Oregon State. And I know a lot of our listeners are going, oh, Oregon State, like that's the bottom of the dregs of the Pac-12. Like, yeah, it's, it's, you, didn't, you didn't go and poach someone from, from Georgia or Alabama. But it's a program that's trending in the right direction. They've had a lot of losing seasons. They're starting to turn the corner under Jonathan Smith. They just went 7-6. and six. It was their first winning season since 2013, so in about a decade. And, and Ray is – considered a pivotal piece of that uh, and then finally angie Mikado covers oregon state and she's been around the program for uh, upwards of 25 years 20 25 years and when gary anderson was there she said that was probably the worst the program has ever been it was at a low point he quit on the team in the middle of the season they won just one game they're at the bottom of the basement with pac-12 recruiting and when i say the bottom of the basement like they weren't even like in striking distance of the 11th team again uh, Derek gray is part of that kind of revitalization he's really well connected with seven on seven coaches in that region but you also look at uh, the footprint of oregon state yeah california and the pacific northwest is big but they also have ties to uh, to texas and more importantly to florida so someone who comes highly recommended well liked by pretty much everyone we've talked to it just seems like he's going to bring a level of like professionalism and organization and structure to the gm role at florida state so fsu has not officially announced this hire yet uh, we can con- pretty- we can we can confirm yeah. it. Yeah, it's confirmed. But Mike Norvell was on Packer and Durham this morning on Thursday morning, and he was asked about hiring a GM. And uh, I won't read the whole quote to you. You can see it on the site. But he said part of it, when you look at the personnel departments and where college football is going and the constant change of what a roster is year to year, to make sure you have a declared set of eyes that are always making sure that the alignment within our personnel department, the current state of the roster, but also the future developments, whether it's recruiting, whether it is the transfer portal, the ebb and flow of needs, and just keeping that in a coordinated approach. 
That is why he is hiring a GM. So it's a bit of a minute. Do you feel like this is more of a uh, like a managerial role to guide the off-field recruiting department, or do you think he's more of a vision guy, hands-on? Like what? What type of vote? Yes, I think he's both. I think I think it's to take that group that they've hired that they've bulked up here, and they're continuing to hire. Yes, and organizing it to be its most efficient manner, putting people in their best roles, doing the best things making sure on-campus recruiting is running super efficient, making sure visits are well-organized, uh, communication with kids, parents, high school coaches, those who need to be talked to about recruits, that it's done in a great manner. But I think this is also somebody that helped with what we were speaking on earlier, the never-ending everyday cycle that we're now in of analyzing portal entries, making sure you're coordinated with portal entries, uh, communicating that with coaches that needs to be communicated with, making sure that you have somebody to kind of have a jumping off point to deal with a transfer. So even before maybe a coach gets involved. Right. So this will even take some of the pressure or not some of the lifting. Like right now, I know a lot of the GAs and defensive analysts, offensive analysts are the ones reviewing transfer tape, doing the early evals before it gets to the coach's hands. But those guys aren't, that's like recruiting duties. Um, I think they'd like to take some of those duties out of the analysts' hands and into more of the recruiting staff's hands and have the analysts do more uh, of the on-field preparation for the actual team, not not work as a defunct like scouting department. Yeah, it's, it's almost like building a wall with a bridge over it, allowing for football people to deal with the football team and for yes. recruiting people to deal with the recruiting. Yes, and I think the GM role... Some people say, oh, it's to come in and clean up and organize. No, it's to come in because this is an ever-growing back office. Like, there's going to be more hires made. So at some point, you need to have somebody oversee that department and guide it. So um, So that's organization, ultimately, right? Yeah, so he's going to do a little bit of everything, which is important to the the infrastructure of this program, I feel like, is to have someone who can help out, have a good yeah. eye for talent, recruiting, and then, yeah, get everyone, have the trains run on time. And that's something that we, I think, fell apart at the end of this past cycle. Communication wasn't great. Uh, different guys were expecting different results, and, and that wasn't being communicated to the entire coaching staff. And that just, that can't happen again. So this is a way to try to prevent that from, from happening moving forward. There's another hire made yesterday. Justin Krause will take an off-field recruiting role. Has Have they officially announced his hire or position? No announcements yet pertaining to the GM role or any additional new roles. The last right. announcements were Corey Fuller and Kiwan Rat. Right. Okay. I reached out to Kraus yesterday. He confirmed his hiring, and I asked if a, you know if a position was, was placed on him, and he said, no, not yet. Um, it sounds like he's going to be in town soon. I uh, know we're in the dead period, so this is kind of the time of year where these guys will get moved in and, and get situated. Um, but yeah, I expect the Kraus announcement to come soon, maybe as early as later this week or early next week. Um, Justin Kraus has ties to Mike Norvell. Brendan, tell us a little bit about this hire. Yeah, he was someone who worked with Mike Norvell basically when he got to Memphis, because he was at Memphis previously, they went to FAU, and then the timeline is correct here, Josh. I believe he went back to Memphis after Norvell landed there. Uh, so someone that just kind of 
oversaw recruiting organization structure, whatnot. Honestly, I'm kind of surprised. I thought he was someone that would have going to come with Mike Norvell initially from Memphis. Um, and that ended up going to the role of, uh, I guess, what, what would have been what Chuck Canner's role, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, I, think I expected some of the more Florida him. Ties, but yeah, yeah, he was expected to come early on. And then some of those off-field hires, things kind of went in some different directions. One thing led to another, and Justin Krause did not come to Florida State originally. So uh, two years later, he he now joins the staff. So this is a good hire. Uh, Krause is a guy that's that's well-connected. He worked on Randy Shannon's staff, off-field staff at Miami during his time there. So there's some familiarity with the state. Um, but also a guy that just knows how to build a program on a budget, on limited resources, knows how to get quality players in and and has an eye for that and has done it at different spots. So, um, you know, not a game-changing move, but another quality hire. Do you yeah, guys find it interesting? Sorry, go ahead, Chris. I got a question afterwards. I was just going to say, he's been at it for about 28 years now. Mm -hmm. uh, he started at Murray State, which is where he graduated from. That was his first experience. Then he worked with Arkansas for about six years as an assistant recruiting coordinator, also an assistant to the head coach. A uh, brief stint there with the Pats as a SEC and Southeastern region scout with the New England Patriots. Then he went from there to Miami, worked with Shannon Recruiting and Operations, also had stops at Old Miss, Vanderbilt, UAB, Iowa Western, FAU, and obviously Memphis, as we mentioned. He's held a lot of similar type of roles at each stop, but he's also held different roles throughout that time. So he's He's worn a lot of different hats over the years. I think, uh, you know, experience counts for something. And it seems as though everybody praises him along the way. I, I know that's sort of what this business does to some degree. But, you know, when he went from FAU to Memphis, for example, he was praised for that from FAU standpoint, even though he was departing the school. So I, I think that speaks a bit to the fact that he's lauded pretty highly. So FSU has clearly double down so it's just interesting to see like resources are finite for some schools not for all um but for most schools you're gonna have a limited number of resources and how much money you could pump into different areas it's been very clear this offseason they have expanded positions multiple positions for recruiting roles now i'm just curious what you guys make of, of that's where they're it's it, that's where they're taking their liquid cash right now is you know i'm, I'm guessing a lot of six-figure salaries to help continue to beef up the, the back office of recruiting? Well, I think to some degree it's a necessity because of the constant demand of the current landscape of college athletics. I think you have to have qualified people, talented people and leaders to uh, kind of help do this whole job these days. It's, it's just, it's ultra, excuse me, it's ultra intensive. It, it never ends. There's no slowdown. And I think you have to have this. And I think it's, you know, bridging the gap of what FSU used to be, what Jimbo tried to revolutionize it to be, to what the next step in college athletics is with pertaining to football. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's an arms race and, you know, Florida State is keeping up. They're doing a good job. This was a calculated move this offseason, something like this. You got to free up this kind of cash. You know, it, it, this was this was planned well in advance. This wasn't just a... Uh, rash move by FSU to bolster their back office. This was a, a, a major move for FSU, something, you know, Jimbo Fisher would have loved to get this type of money allocated to some off-field coaching hires in, in one of his off-seasons. So Mike Norvell gets it done, very important. It seems like he's made some great hires just from, from everything that I've heard.
Speaking of great hires, uh, there was two contract extensions that we have not talked about since uh, the last podcast. <laughs> we have the, uh, the, the answer to your questions on whether or not at the end of January, the contracts of Odell Hagens and Ron Dugans would be renewed. And now we have your answers. Chris, tell the people. Uh, FSU confirmed, I think it was around 5 p.m. that evening, that yes, indeed, those two have put ink to paper and signed extensions. Now those extensions are not available, terms were not disclosed, yada, yada, so on and so forth. Um, I mean, we all expected Odell to get the extension. That was no surprise. And I think we prepared people pretty well over the last, I don't know, 15 days leading up to the end of the month that Ron Dugan's return was extremely likely at that point. That had very much trended in that direction, especially after the Jawan Sider pursuit that failed to secure him as an FSU assistant coach. And then we knew he'd kick the tires on Phil McGagan, who went to Colorado, but did not get an offer from Florida State. So I think after the Jawan Sider fortation, knowing that Sider's not coming, I don't think Florida State really – I don't think they pursued any other wide receiver coaches other than maybe a few conversations here or there. I don't think Mike Norvell offered any other wide receiver coaches. So pretty much by the turn of the new year coming out of, out of uh, January into January, it was pretty certain that Dugans was going to return. He's back, baby. It was interesting to me to see that some on the message board tried to read into every single tea leaf for every development. Like he's not coming back. And we're like, like by January, we were pretty certain that yeah. he was, was coming back. Yeah. I, I will admit from December 15th to January 15th, it did not feel like a situation where he should be expected back. But I think after the coaches convention and the cider situation, it became clear yeah. that it's tough to hire coaches. I think that's a point that, people miss some. I mean, FSU is not the only example of this. There's one about seven hours south of Tallahassee right now that certainly has shown that it's not particularly easy to hire people. Yeah. A few coaches, a few staffs have a very easy time, but there's very few staffs that you can say that about. And then everybody else, it is hard. It is difficult to hire high quality coaches. And you don't just hire to fire, you hire to improve. If you don't think you can do that, might be better to dance with the one you know, even if there's obviously shortcomings that have to improve, which is development of the position, recruiting of the position, the high school ranks, things of that sort. Mm-hmm. And that's ultimately oh, go ahead, Zach. Go for it. Like, okay. So obviously with early signing day, they signed zero receivers at arguably their biggest position of need. And then they went in the portal and got four. But I don't know how much you can contribute that to, you know, wide receiver like Ron Dugans' recruiting ability. I just, like, obviously it's difficult to hire in this current landscape or, you know, it's it's difficult to hire good coaches, mm-hmm. but I just don't see how, like, anything wouldn't have been an upgrade from the lack of production we've seen from the receiver position as well as literally not one high school receiver signee. I agree with you, Zach, in the premise. I think the point I would make is that Sometimes you hire someone new who is equally as disappointing as what you just had. Like, if you don't know you're getting an upgrade, if you do not believe you are getting an upgrade, if you don't believe you're going out and hiring someone who's going to make you better at your deficiencies, and then fit I don't in with think your you make a hire staff. just to make a hire. Yeah. What was that, Josh? 
he also has to fit with the current staff. I yeah. think that's something that you look a, co- a head coach looks at, you know, when they bring somebody in um, just the, the fit, not even just with the chemistry of the rest of the staff, is he what you need? It can be debated on whether or not um, Mike Norvell should have maybe looked harder, but I think at the end of the day, to Chris's point, that's kind of how it shook out. And I, I don't want to speak for everybody else. I know myself and Zach, because we talked about this plenty sitting on the bench in January. We were both for change. I think it would have benefited the program. But I think it just simply is where they are at currently with the ability to hire somebody that it did not make sense. And change for the sake of change is not always a positive. I think a majority of our listeners and, and message boarders are going to side with what and feel very similar to how Zach feels and how, what Zach articulated. It's like, was there not something that would have, like when you look at what the results have been at wide receiver, and we know they've lamented like that, that the program has lamented the lack of production at wide receiver, inability to upgrade that position group from a development standpoint and then a recruiting standpoint. Like you go through and you, and you don't sign any wide receiver prospects like Zach mentioned this, this past class, and you have to rely heavily on the portal there. Uh, that wasn't part of the initial plan. So I get the frustration. Like, I think, I think you guys are, are, are totally justified for, for saying why can't there be a quote unquote upgrade when the results to this point are so pedestrian at best. That's me being, uh, being nice and, and with kids clubs here. Uh, I think the thing to, to remember is yes, it is hard to find good coaches and upgrades and you want to fit in this, in the staff's culture, but like who, ultimately are you attracting to the this specific job right now two years in and you can say i you, 2020 didn't count it was a COVID year which i got i got you it's not fair to hold that against mike norvell but people on the outside looking in are going to look at this job and say do i really want to move my family uh, uproot leave the current position i'm at and settle in for the next three years is that going to be sustainable is that going to be a good uh, bet to take uh, in, in this circumstance. And I, I think that's what Florida State probably runs into with the higher echelon guys, the the surefire upgrades, the shot in the arm type of coaches like Juwan Sider. Like, I, I think that's ultimately what you run into is, is how attractive is this job to the elite coaches out there? Unless you're really overpaying for them, I would, it doesn't seem like super attractive right now, unfortunately. Yeah, eight and 13 in the last two years, still viewed as a long-term rebuild. I think we all believe that Norvell is going to be given an ample amount of time, but a narrative that exists out there outside of people that have a nitty gritty understanding of it is the last coach got fired after 21 games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're going to look at that as part of uh, how much longer do we really have? And I know like the, the people who make decisions really like Mike Norvell and understand like what this, how young the roster is, what Mike Norvell's long-term vision is. I don't know if that means he's going to be here in 2025, but yeah, he's going to be here in 2023. He's going to be here probably in 2024 too. Um, and then you have to kind of start winning some games at some point, and that's part of the long-term rebuild. But yeah, I do think coaches are are gun shy to commit to this program long term with their careers, and it's tough to argue. It's tough to argue them with with their careers. I get it. And as I mentioned, they did not provide terms on those contracts. The hope is in Dugan's case that it's a one-year deal. It is for this year for position coach. If he improves, his position improves, recruiting results improve, maybe you keep him longer term. If not, hopefully you're in a better position next year to go and pursue a coach. 
because you were more successful on the field, things are going in a better direction. The narrative is a little different and you're a little bit more appealing of a job and you can go out there and get a guy. You're buying yourself time to some degree by resigning them, hopefully for just a year for now. All right, well, let's move on to some exciting news that happened this week. The Florida State schedule dropped. Uh, Chris and Brendan did a instant reaction on the bench that was published uh, Tuesday night. Was it that it came out Monday night? Whenever Monday it was night. Monday uh, night. The pod went up Tuesday morning, but yeah, Monday night. Correct. Um, you guys did an instant reaction to that. But now that we got Zach on here, um, what was your opinion uh, as a student? What's your opinion of the schedule and most notably the game on Friday? Yeah, I mean, I was talking to someone else. It kind of seems like a high school football schedule right now with all the Friday games and just the weird, the weird um, short weeks that FSU is going to have. And I, I don't know, it, like that, that was a weird thing. And then obviously the week zero game. Um, I kind of like the concept of that because I've, I've not been a fan of how Florida State starts their season with, mm-hmm. you know, this huge game. And for the past, what, five, six years, it's just hasn't worked out for Florida State and it really sets a negative tone for the rest of the season. So Florida State gets that week zero game to kind of uh, test the waters a little bit, um, you know, work out their depth chart a little bit more and, until you head to uh, to play LSU. Um, so I, I like that. Um, but, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the UF game. I think uh, there's merit to it uh, in that, you know, it's obviously going to be uh, – prime time game of the night kind of deal but with traveling you know from thanksgiving to heading to uf the next day it'd be kind of seems like it's going to be kind of brutal but um i guess we'll see how it how it works out as a student at florida state um what will your be what will your approach be to that gator game as far as getting to it? Yeah, like, are you going to come back? Are you not going to leave campus? Are you just going to drive back on Friday? Like, what's your – how are you going to handle it? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I For the past couple of years, I've been doing the thing where, like, I go to Thanksgiving, and then on Saturday I'll head to the UF game and then drive back either, like, that night or Sunday morning to back to Florida State's campus because we usually get from, like, Wednesday to Sunday off. Mm-hmm. Um so the day before Thanksgiving till Sunday, then we start school back on Monday. So I, you know, but just game like, being I, in Tallahassee this year, you live in South Florida. Are you going to drive back up on Friday and attend the game? Yeah. I mean, that, that's the decision I have to make. It's like, basically they're forcing my hand, like less time with my family or go watch FSU lose. I mean, um, play. You're going to win this one. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, it, it's simple. You host Thanksgiving this year. You got to learn how to cook a turkey, buddy. Time to get domesticated. Make my Bring, entire family drive up like seven hours. I don't know yeah, about that. Definitely yeah. fry a turkey in your dorm room. I Try like that. cooking. I like cooking. I, I'd be down for that. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll come to it. We'll, we'll all have a Thanksgiving dinner in your dorm room. That'll be great. I just awesome. thought of a podcast idea. Zach doing a cooking podcast with Kanaya Charlton. Right? NIL, baby. Right? NIL it. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Anything else we want to get out? Uh, well, Actually, let's get to the uh, more disappointing part of the podcast. All right. Do we want to talk about Florida State's disappointing hoop sauce? Or do we want to talk about Chris Knee's heartbreaker of a day to see EJ Lightsey put pen to paper yesterday with the defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs? 
So on a light C subject, which was more of a heartbreaker to you, Chris? My uh, sister-in-law is a UGA grad. She went there for grad school, and she works at UGA. And her husband is a huge Georgia fan. Probably cried truthfully when they won the national title. I texted him yesterday about my love and appreciation for EJ Lightsey. I told him take good care of him for me. <laughs> oh man, how about that? What a wild recruitment for EJ Lightsey. The one-time Gator commitment um, gets kind of tossed to the side by the Gators because. Billy Napier wasn't going to take his scholarship. Florida State kicks the tires on him how many times? A million? I mean, a couple. It all preceded the change at linebacker coach. Yeah, and then they do not go on him. South Carolina and Georgia are the two teams he ends up picking from and and finds himself at UGA. Yeah, I'm I'm interested for him at UGA because he has some physical development to do. Um, and that place recruits monsters. So I'm a little interested for him how it goes. It goes like a place where he could, to some degree, get recruited over and buried before he's allowed to develop, especially in today's climate and their current standing in college football. But uh, I like EJ Lightsey a ton. Hey, maybe FSU invested enough time that when he hits the portal, they'll have a chance a second time. Yeah, it seems like we say that a lot. Wait, so now quickly, I get to talk about hoops. Before yeah. we get, go ahead, oh, wait. before we get to hoops, there's just one schedule thing that I want to go over. Why am I getting an argument? Why are people arguing with me on Twitter about? Well, why am I arguing with them? Is probably a better question. Don't mm-hmm. shake your head, Josh. You're why allowed to arguing, turn Twitter off. You know that, right? Why are they arguing with me? You know, someone has to promote the brand. Okay. Uh, why are they arguing over eight wins being not a realistic expectation, but being the bare minimum? Oh, this time you're at it with FSU fans. Yeah, everyone. everyone. All right. So what's you're getting yelled at because you said what? The eight wins. The people talking about eight wins being the bare minimum. Not to say that's something that you can't hit, but to say like that's what Mike Norvell needs this season. Oh no, I think eight wins is a very good season next year. That's you should sign him up for a contract extension if he wins a uh, like another contract extension. Actually, have one that's not verbal and and signed. Uh, and put on paper if they win eight games with the current roster composition. Right. I find, can I be perfectly honest here? And Please. I didn't say this on the podcast where it's known. I find trying to project wins and losses of a football team in January in the current state of the transfer portal and all that, effing asinine. Oh, we did a whole podcast doing that. I know. And Why I thought it that? was effing asinine. No. Don't say that. It, it's absurd. They're going to add. Do you four know what the hell tops. FSU is going to look like right now? I mean, they're going to add four more guys tops. So I think we have a right. pretty good idea of what majority of that roster is going to look But like. they have 23 new faces that are going to be with them in the spring, including 10 transfer guys who you clearly know they're trying to inject either as a but starter the, or depth. The fun part is to do these projections in January and then again in in May. And yeah, then again I, before I the season. I feel doing them in that middle of the off season after springtime because you've at least seen and you know this looks like a strength this looks like a deficiency until you play somebody else you're not sure how that's all going to play out because obviously when you're playing the same people constantly in practice you learn certain things they do and you can play to your strengths and their deficiencies but you know i, I just i think the whole january discussion of wins and losses just it's nuts and i get it. it's what people are going to do they're bored it's the off season have at it. You're going to put my kids through college. I appreciate it. But I just, I think it's nuts. Like, I don't know why we're setting barometers in January for how many games he has to win next year. I think the truth is they have to be a ball team and they need to win more than they lose. And it needs to start showing forward progress. That's that was my lar- that was my larger point is why are we saying that like 
what you just said is basically what the expectation of what the team probably will be and what it needs to be is forward progress. And that's six or seven wins. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying saying eight as the baseline is just, it's unfair to you do it. I guess you do what you want to do with your, (laughs) with your beliefs. Just eight wins is not logical. Maybe that's just their pre spring prediction. It could also, it could, it could maybe go up after spring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You get a, get a nice little left tackle in the transfer portal, defensive end. We're saying, let's go. All right, let's talk about hoops, Chris. Yeah, lost three in a row. It's not going real well for them. They lost 75-69 <laughs> last night at Clemson. Uh, the defense is a complete and utter mess right now. They have an identity crisis. I think I've said that in previous conversations mm-hmm. after Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. They don't know who and what they're trying to be at this point. The junkyard dog defense is dead currently for that team. It's just not there. Offensively, they're not really – yeah. They're not getting a whole lot of quality looks, and sometimes when they do, they clink them right off the rim, point blank. Uh, it's, it's just it's bad right now. It ebbs and it flows. I mean, they were on a winning streak here not too long ago, and they were getting by by the skin of their teeth in some of those wins, but a win's a lot better than a loss when it's real close. But, yeah, Nahima Cloud breaks his finger last night. That further complicates things because on the interior right now, they're a mess, and Gum's not that dude. Ballard gives you nothing. John Butler's not really a big. He's more of an outside wing type guy. So you don't really have a whole lot on the interior. They're going to have to try to gravitate to being a smaller team and playing to that. But conversely, they're going to have to rebound and stuff. Last night they get slaughtered on the boards by a Clemson team that itself is not that big. Um, They just – they got to – it's kind of one of those moments where I think there's a – need to look in a mirror for several guys and kind of try to figure things out. And some of the young guys have to get ahead of schedule mm-hmm. or get on schedule. It, it feels like, and a big reason I thought this team had a shot when they started putting together some wins is generally Leonard Hamilton teams, especially younger ones evolve pretty well within season. This one has seemingly stalled to some degree with several guys kind of struggling in the evolution standpoint. Cam Fletcher is a guy that, People are clamoring for him to play more. I don't really disagree with that take. I think it would be nice because he is a high-effort player, maybe brings a little bit more. But for whatever reason, he's not getting those minutes. That's something I intend to ask Leonard about next time we speak. But you need a guy like Jalen Morley to take the next step. You need a guy like Matthew Cleveland to be a little bit more consistent than he's being, you know, hitting some of those easy bunnies, just doing the things he can do because he is a guy who is a bucket getter. You have to have Caleb Mills be the guy who scores at a high rate. Raekwon Evans needs to be probably the leader that Malik Osborne was. And it's very tough for a guy to become something he wasn't before. But Raekwon's a veteran. He's been around in a long time. He's a mature kid. I think he has a lot of things you hope for from a leadership standpoint. They need that guy to step up because they desperately miss it with Malik being gone, getting cut on today to fix his ankle and foot. Um, but, yeah, they're in kind of a tough place. I, I would argue the back half of the AC schedule, ACC schedule – is likely more difficult than the front half was for FSU. And they're not in a particularly good place as they enter that stretch of the season. So pretty concerned. They've compiled a lot of bad losses. That definitely hurt the resume. I haven't looked at bracketology because I think it's kind of idiotic in early February. But I would presume at this point they're either like a last four in or second four out kind of Chris has right been now. such a fuddy-duddy. He doesn't like looking at bracketology in February. He I look at bracketology. Like no, I'll look at it in February, but I'm not looking at it in February till there's about three weeks left in the season because so much can change in the last six to eight games. I just think looking at it now, the only thing it's going to tell you is that, man, you've compiled some really good wins or you've compiled some really bad losses. 
and thus that's your resume and where it stands right now next thing you're going to tell me is that you don't like grading drafts the day afterwards abc 100 correct <sighs> this guy All right, yeah. what else we got to wrap this thing up? Is there any other topics that we need to hit on? Did anything else happen in no, I mean, state land? Baseball. baseball took to the diamond. They're at it. They're getting ready for the season. First pitch is 15 days out at this point, I guess it is. It's two weeks Chris. tomorrow. Um, Chris, what? are they going to suck? No, I, I actually think they're going to be – I think they're going to be a much – I know how much you hate watching college baseball because you think the fielding's atrocious and things like that. I think in that regard, comparatively to last year, they're going to be a much better team. I think they are much more athletic, and they've got guys who are much more natural at playing certain positions, specifically middle infielders, shortstop, namely. I think that will help. They have a more natural first baseman. They have options at second and third that they can flip. That will both be good at those positions. And Logan Lacey's a solid center fielder. The reason sure, I ask you that take a step down. is just because, for the most part, Florida State baseball is really good. Um, in, in terms of the traditionally, yeah, yeah, traditionally, but then some years they just go out and they suck, you know, like they'll have like one year in between. It's like a transitional year. So I was just wondering yeah. if this was going to be one of those years. They, they, as a group, and I agree with this assessment, they believe they're going to be able to pitch. I mean, Hubbard and Messick's an excellent one too. It's actually yeah. probably Messick Hubbard. That's an excellent one too. They have enough arms to give you a middle bullpen. They believe they have capable closer candidates. So I feel like they feel very confident about pitching. The defense was painful last year. I expect that to take a drastic step up. Where I'm skeptical, or at least I need to see it to believe it, is the hitting. I need to know that they're going to be a more consistent hitting club, uh, not feast or famine, kind of like they were at times last year, where it was either long ball or nothing. I think they need to be a better slap it around the yard kind of team. A guy like Jordan Carrion, who I expect to be their starting shortstop, he's somebody who... I think will exceed what I've expected him as a hitter based on what I saw in the fall. I thought he was pretty good in the fall. I didn't really expect much when he transferred here. I thought he was more simply for defensive purposes. I do want to see what the catcher position is going to produce. I want to see what Alex Toro does with beating up on the right field fence, Miami transfer at first base. His, his strength is hitting to right. FSU's obviously got kind of a friendly porch over that way. So things like that I'm very interested in. But they open with, I think it's James Madison on Friday the 19th. You know, I, I don't think we're going to know for the first month what FSU is, but most of the preseason polls have them 10 to 15 range-ish. Uh, the league's pretty good. Notre Dame, NC State, FSU, Miami, all expected to be pretty good ball clubs. I'm probably forgetting one or two other ACC clubs that are pretty highly thought of. All right. There you have it, folks. That's your baseball preview. Um, for Brendan Sinone, for Chris Nee, for Zach Blostein, I am Josh Newberg. Thank you for listening to On the Bench. We will be back soon.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.